I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12, and I'm going to read a verse of Scripture out of chapter 12 and chapter 14. I know chapter 13 is the chapter of love, and it's beautiful, and we've been talking about um, the need of love, and I'm, I'm going to continue to talk with you about this at least into December, um, hopefully in every message that I ever preach, but particularly right now, and the reason is... I do believe in the end times. I do believe in the rapture of the church. And I do believe in the soon coming and imminent return of Jesus Christ for the church. I believe in that because it's biblical. I believe in that because it's clearly a biblical doctrine in the Word of God. But being in the last days, it is clear to me that we are warned by some of the apostles by Peter, by John, and by Paul, that in the last days, there's going to be a real lack of love in the body of Christ. That there is going, Peter has actually said, seeing that everything is coming to an end, above all things, have fervent love among yourselves, for love shall cover a multitude of sin. It's an an amazing statement for an apostle to make. The end of everything is here, This is the chief thing to do. Make sure you have fervent love. Paul said to Timothy in the last days, the church will be overrun with a lot of fighting and debate and division and strife, hatred, meanness, arguing, and so forth. And they will have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And the power is God. That's the power of godliness. And that demonstration of God's power is the Holy Spirit. And so it's just really spirit-filled lives, a spirit-filled heart. And Romans 5, 5 says that one of the chief things that the Holy Spirit does when he comes into our hearts is he sheds abroad in our heart the love of God. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit to give us love. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. And so to, to think that there's going to be a lack of love in the last days just really highlights the fact that the last days is going to be overrun with a lot of Pharisees a lot of show, a lot of formalism, but a real lack of power, a lack of the Holy Spirit and a lack of love. Jesus said that in the last days, the love of many will wax cold. Hearts just getting hardened. I mean, Lord, whatever, you watch things on TV, you watch murder and brutality and sex and abuse and molestation and you see it everywhere and it just kind of makes your heart a little bit hardened to the suffering of people that are in our world. We've, we've become so accustomed to homeless people that it's just now part of the part of the city. It's just part of the corner, you know. It's just, oh, people are there. I wonder where they're from, you know. I wonder what their story is. And we just drive on past. We, we hardly have a burden, say a prayer, demonstrate the love of God for that matter because we've, we've just become so accustomed to suffering and to tragedy in, in people's lives. And, and um, I, really, I really don't believe God does, though. I don't believe God gets used to it. I don't think God gets accustomed to the way people have to go through difficult things in their life, tragedies in their life, or grief in their life. I believe it really still strikes the compassions of Jesus, and, and He lives in us. And so I think that our lives should really express the love and the compassion of Jesus Christ. And it should be fresh and it should be supernatural on every day of our life. But we have to walk in the Spirit. 
So 1 Corinthians 13 is a beloved chapter because that's the chapter on love. And I'm not going to read it right now. Um, and I'm, I may not even read it this morning. You can read it for yourself today in your studies. But I want to read chapter 12, verse 31. And he says, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. In chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Follow after charity or love, agape love, and desire spiritual gifts. And then he goes in to talk about prophecy and speaking in tongues. But I just want to stop there. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts. And so um, chapter 12 deals with spiritual gifts. Chapter 13 deals with charity. And then chapter 14 says that we're to pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. And then it goes into the, the actual operation of the gifts of the Spirit in a church service among a people that are in an active worship service. It kind of gives us instructions of what to do and what to look for. And so I just wanted to lay this out for you in these two verses of Scripture. I want to talk to you this morning about the more excellent way. And the more excellent way is not gifts or love, but rather the more excellent way is gifts and love. It's both of them. It's not one or the other. And oftentimes we've read through 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about all of the gifts of the Spirit. And then we come to chapter 13 and it talks about you can have all of these gifts, but if you don't have love, it profits you nothing. And so we would just assume that love is the more excellent way. But chapter 14 verse 1 tells us the conclusion of it and, and that we are to pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. That, that, that's the more excellent way. To have both and not to leave one of them out. And praise God, we don't have to leave one of them out as Christians who have the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will give us an abundance of gifts and an abundance of love. So I want to I tell you three stories from the Bible. And I'm, and I'm going to just come back to 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 and highlight this. But the first story that I wanted to tell you was a story back in the Old Testament. During the days of Solomon... And there was a woman that had a baby. And three days later, another woman who lived in the same house with her had a baby. Now, these weren't houses like we have. It was basically kind of just like a studio room, very small room. And the two ladies lived in there. And so one had her baby. Three days later, the other lady had her baby. And so on one particular morning, the lady woke up to find out that her, find that her baby had died in the night. Because she rolled over it and she killed her baby, accidentally, of course. When she realized that her baby was dead, she swapped her baby for the living baby. And so she took the living baby and she started to nurse that baby and put the, her, her baby that had passed with the sleeping woman. When that woman woke up to find that her baby was dead... In seeking to nurse her baby, she realized this wasn't her baby after all, but the other lady was actually nursing her baby, to which she denied. She said, no, this is my baby. It's not your baby. And so they said, well, let's take this to Solomon, the great wise king. And so they went to Solomon, and they laid out their argument to Solomon and said, we both had a child, and during the night, this lady's child died, 
And now she wants to take my child. And the other lady said, no, that's not true, Solomon. What happened was is that her child died in the night, and then she took my living child to her and gave me her child that had died. And so Solomon has to settle this. There's no other witnesses to the event. And so Solomon has to settle it. And so what he says is, somebody bring me a sword. And they brought Solomon a sword. And Solomon said, divide the baby in half and give half to this woman and give the other half to this woman. And, and so the, one of the mothers, the, the true mother, cried out to Solomon and said, no, my Lord, please let the baby live. Don't take the baby's life. But the other woman said, what a great idea. Let's, let's split the baby in half. So if, if, if one of us can't get the life of the baby, nobody gets the life of the baby. And Solomon knew right away who the true mother was or who the true mother should be. And so he said that, okay, this is the mother of the child. Give the baby to her. And so I just say that to you because there was such a disregard for life and we're perplexed with something like that. How could a woman do that? How could a woman have that type of attitude to kill a baby because her baby died? And if she doesn't get to have a baby, then nobody should have a baby. This lady shouldn't have a baby if I didn't get to have a baby. So it's only right to kill the baby and then neither one of us get one. And so it's tragic. It's, it's like what kind of human thinks like that? You know, something like that really happened. And, um, and we know that it does, and there have been as great a tragedies that happen in our modern world as back in those days that we might call uncivilized. They still happen today. One of the things that I want to draw out for us this morning is how quickly we are willing to divide the church of Jesus Christ, which is a living thing, because I don't get something that I want. I don't like that you have it. I want it. I believe I should have it. I believe it should be mine. And so if I don't get to have it and you get to have it, let's just kill the thing. So neither one of us gets to have it. And so that happens, you know, we might think strangely at this woman in Solomon's day, but we think nothing sometimes of doing that to the body of Christ because we're jealous of what somebody else might get to do and what we don't get to do. And, and so we, we, we could begin to divide and we could begin to kill and we could begin to pull the swords out and, and just take the very life of those things that are living in the house of God. Another story that I want to tell you is in the New Testament, and it's a story that occurred in Paul's life. He had been ministering in Ephesus for three years, and he is about to sail away, and he's very sad that he has to leave the believers in Ephesus. And so they're meeting with him on the shore as he's about to get on his ship and sail off, and, and all of the believers are there, and the elders of, of Ephesus are there. And Paul tells them, he says, I just want to warn you that... When I leave, grievous wolves are going to come in to devour the flock. He's not saying it might happen. It's going to happen. It's just, it's just the way the devil works. <clears throat> and so it's going to happen. And when a great leader like Paul is gone, then a church can become somewhat vulnerable. 
because that leader is away from guarding it and protecting it. I would imagine that these wolves would think twice while Paul is there. But when he leaves, he says this is going to happen. Then he says a remarkable statement. And this is in Acts 20. And he says this in Acts 20 to, to to the elders. He looks at the elders and he said, And also, from among your own selves, elders, preachers, ministers, also from among your own selves, some of you are going to rise up because you're not getting what you want. And you are going to lead disciples away with you. And he said, that's going to happen. And he warns them of this. He he knows that he can't prevent it because he understands human nature. And certainly when it would come to elders, and we would think that, well, this is a good cause. This is the will of God. I know what God wants me to do. And so we we may not think twice at the damage that we would do to the body of Christ to get something that we want to have or to make sure if we don't get to have it, then nobody should be able to have it. And so that is a very real possibility that could go on in the church. I'm talking to you about love, a more excellent way, so just stay with me. I have another story that I want to tell you. This is in the Gospels. It's in Mark. And it was after the crucifixion of Jesus. And Isaiah tells us that when Jesus was taken away to be tried, Isaiah describes the brutal beating that would occur, that his form would not be human. He would be so lacerated from the whipping. And I won't go into detail with that. But he would be exposed His bones would be exposed. He would be swollen. He would be very fragile, very weak. And so he would be also covered in sweat and covered in blood and humiliated. And so Jesus would carry his cross through the streets of Jerusalem like that. And the Bible and and the culture even in that day was... If anybody dies on a cross, on a tree, they're cursed by God and cursed by men. This is just like the worst. This is, this is just only the most awful people are deserving of death on a tree. It's like, I don't know, maybe how some religions think you'll go into the next life wandering around with never having rest or something like that. And so Jesus is carrying his cross through Jerusalem like that. There's no disciples with him. They're all scared. And so they're, they're, they're somewhat, there's some in the crowds, but they're not identifying themselves with Jesus. They're just kind of like blended in. Not even his mother is kind of near him or trying to help him or trying to assist him. She's certainly in the crowds. We know that. Some of the other people are in the crowds that had admired Jesus and even loved Jesus. And so they're certainly around. These people are around, but nobody, I mean, nobody is kind of coming out of the crowd to love on Jesus and and help Jesus and say, he's mine and I am his and you're rejecting him, but I love him and I'm not ashamed of him. Oh, no, not not that day. It was a, it was a great day of confusion as Jesus is being led off to his death and They crucify him 
while he's hanging there and and more trauma happened to his body while he was hanging on the cross and all of his joints came out of socket. And so I can only imagine how loosely Jesus' body would be flailing around as they would take him down from the cross as his joints just really didn't have any connection there. And he would die a horrific death on that cross while the, the political leaders and the religious leaders of his day would surround that cross and they would mock him and they would hurl insults at him. And the soldiers would be at the feet of his cross or the foot of his cross gambling for the only thing that he owned. And again, nobody protesting, nobody interfering, nobody trying to stop this incredible demonstration of love. And Jesus would die. And because there was a holy day coming, they would be ordered by Rome to take the bodies down. And they were going to take the body of Jesus down, and all they were going to do is what they would do to anybody that died on a cross. There was a common grave outside the city. Probably somewhat like you would maybe remember from the German Holocaust when you would see the mass graves of the Jews piled up in a in a hole in the ground and that's basically what they were going to do. They were just going to dump Jesus in this grave with thousands of other bones. That was all he was worth. But one man, you hardly ever hear about him. He approaches Pilate. Mark records this in his gospel. He approaches Pilate and he goes to Pilate and The Bible testifies that Joseph of Arimathea begged for the body of Jesus. He, the, the, the Greek word is he craved it. He was craving the body of Jesus. Now bear in mind what this body looked like. And bear in mind how not even his mother or his disciples, were willing to identify themselves with this person, this Jesus that died on a cross. But this Joseph of Arimathea, a very wealthy man, he did. And he went to Pilate and he said, please give me the body. I want the body. And Joseph wanted to put Jesus' body in his tomb, a very expensive and beautiful and new tomb. And he wanted to put Jesus in that and I thought about that, that, that verse in, math, in Mark talks about Joseph craving the body of Jesus. It's, it's, ever since I saw it in a particular light, it, is, it has greatly convicted me. And I, be, I began as a pastor to pray that, God, I want the body of Jesus. Give it to me. I want it. And the body of Jesus that Joseph would receive was toxic because his wounds were fresh and they were open, full of bacteria, full of disease that would be coming out of him, out of his body. It's toxic. It's certainly burdensome. There's not one thing this body of Jesus can do to help Joseph of Arimathea. 
If Joseph of Arimathea takes the body, he's got to carry the full weight of it, flailing around like it might be, even though it was growing cold. But the limbs would be flailing around as all of the joints and the bones had come out of socket. And then the body of Jesus would also be expensive, very expensive, because you have to discard this body. I mean, you have to do something. It's a dead body. So you just can't keep it around. The, the smell would become awful and, and, and it could become toxic to other people. So you have to dispose of this body. So it's going to be expensive because I have to get a tomb for him and I have to put him in that tomb. But Joseph said, I want the body. I beg you for the body. I crave the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted Joseph his request and he gave him the body of Jesus and I think about that with the body of Jesus Christ, and I think about God give me the body. Certainly not the body of Jesus that was crucified on a tree 2,000 years ago, but the body of Jesus Christ that's in the earth today. The people that are identified with Jesus that are full of shame, that people are scared of. Not just the beautiful people. As beautiful as Jesus would have been perhaps a week earlier when he was coming into Jerusalem riding upon the donkey and all of the people were celebrating the king that was coming and Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and how beautiful Jesus was as he was coming in with such humility but such majesty and everybody wanted to be around him then. Not the beautiful people like that that come to our churches that are so refined and they're so well kept and they know how to act and they know how to talk and they know how to behave and all of these things and they're not not a bother and they're not burdensome and they're not expensive and they're probably not toxic, but also the body of Christ that is toxic. The people that do have open wounds, the people who have been abused and the people who have been molested and the people who have been rejected and the people who have been thrown away, the people who can do absolutely nothing to help you at the moment or at the time. And they're going to be so very costly Jesus, give me your body. I want it. I beg you for it. What's going to cost you, Lee? It's toxic. It could hurt you. You'll certainly be identified with shameful people, and people who don't like shameful people are not going to like you. Oh, Father, give me the body of Jesus. Give me the body. And when I think about that body being you, then I would ask myself the question, why would I ever slap you? Why would I ever strike you? Why would I ever raise my hand against you if you are indeed the body of Christ? Why would I not rather give to you the greatest respect that I could possibly give you and the greatest help and the greatest assistance that I could ever bring into your life as though you really are the body of Christ? I mean, the body of Jesus on earth. And to treat you like that and to refuse the spirit of that woman that was in Solomon's court and say, if you get to do it, but I don't get to do it, then I just want to kill it. No, I would never strike the body of Jesus Christ like that. 
or to be some kind of elder or minister in the body of Christ that has risen with status and perhaps nobility and maybe a fragment of fame. And, and, and I would begin to have the opportunity to lead people after me. Like the elders on the shore at Ephesus. And strike the body of Christ that way. No, I would never want that spirit in me. I want the spirit of of Christ, the spirit of God. I want that desire that was in Joseph of Arimathea. He says, give me that body. Let me take care of that body. Let me honor that body. Let me respect that body. And so I say that among ourselves this morning to all of you and whoever else that we could possibly minister to one day, whoever else is looking for Jesus who's been thrown away in life. Because you understand that that really anybody can come to Jesus, anybody can belong to him, and, and anybody can become a disciple of Jesus, whether you're rich or whether you're poor or whether you're educated or whether you're not educated, you're illiterate, you don't have a lot of advantages socially or <clears throat> educationally, and you're just doing the best you can. Anybody can come to Jesus. The door is wide open. Those that have practiced religion and have missed God by a mile and those that have just not even entertained God in their whole life, anybody can come to Jesus. But do you understand that the primary target, the primary purpose, the primary goal that Jesus had in his heart was that I did not come for those that were whole, but I came for those that were broken And it's not those that are not sick that need the doctor, but it's those that are sick that need the doctor. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and He's anointed me uniquely to take care of those that are brokenhearted, those that have been abused, those that have been battered, those that have been rejected, those that have been thrown away, those that have been said, you're no good, you count for nothing, you're a worthless life, I I could live without ever seeing you again. The heart of God goes out to you and says, that's not the way I feel about you. That's the primary target that Jesus has in life, whether they're rich or poor, because you can have rich people that are in that same state. Because the only time or anything people ever want sometimes with rich people is their money or their opportunity. They're really not love for themselves. So it's not a judgment on your status. It's just a judgment on your heart and your spirit and where you are. And for us as a church to be aware of the type of people that Jesus Christ is calling Because he said that we are to go into the highways and the alleyways and the byways. These are the unsafe places of town. These are the places of town that people don't want to go. These are the kind of people that others don't want in their churches, but Jesus wants them. And oh, to God, that we would be a church that would say to God, give them to me. Give me the body of Christ. I trust you to help me. I trust you to give me the strength to take care of them. But give me the body of Christ. Give me the toxic. Give me the burdensome. Give me the heavy laden. Give me those that will be an expense to my life. But give me an opportunity to demonstrate my love and respect for you, God. Because these are the people. Do you have any ideas sometimes? And I know this is a holiday weekend. And maybe a lot of people are traveling and people are away. And not a lot of people necessarily are going to church today. Because of being the holiday weekend. <clears throat> but do you understand sometimes, and most of the time I look around and see just a lot of family that's here, but 
Do you understand sometimes the absolute courage that it takes for somebody to get dressed the best they can and walk through those doors and sit in a room with people like you? Do you have any idea how absolutely scared they are? Because they know you see right through them. They know that you are different than them. They wonder where they're going to sit because they know that if they sit by you, you really don't want them to. So we push the body of Jesus over to the next seat rather than Joseph of Arimathea that takes their arm and takes that potential body of Christ and draws them in close and says, I'm glad you're here today and I'm glad you're sitting by me. Just, a, just an expression of kindness, an expression of love, an expression of acceptance to a heart that is so scared of rejection, it could melt that heart in a moment. And maybe they could come out of their bondages and their abuses and they could be free. But we're so religious. We're so religious. And we're so trained And we're so focused upon who looks like me, dresses like me, acts like me. And we kind of gravitate to that kind of group. We gravitate to our safe friends when, when really perhaps on a church day in a service or wherever you might be at the hill on a Sunday night when people are just haphazardly going around St. Francisville for a Christmas parade and they end up at the hill on a Sunday night and maybe they're just really at the end of their life and they encounter you and you can help them encounter Jesus by just being kind, tenderhearted, listening, loving, sharing the gospel with them, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's it's being able to reach these individuals from whatever status they are in life. So I come to this, and it's Hebrews, I'm I'm sorry, it's 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. We've already read it, but you can look at it again. Desire earnestly the best gifts, but I'll show you a more excellent way. And it goes into love, because love is so important. If we operate in the gifts without love, we could do all of that without profit. So when I come to this, I understand that the more excellent way is both love and gifts in our life. I just wanted to make a statement about this because he tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, in verse 13, but now abides faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And I wanted to say this to you. This was uh, a comment that David Paulson made and So I'm just kind of quoting him right now. And he says this, faith, hope, and love are a trinity. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot have faith without hope. You cannot have love without faith. You cannot have hope without faith and love. Faith without hope is not real faith. Hope without love is not real hope. 
Hope without faith is not real hope. Love without hope is not real love. Love is the greatest of these. And love is the most important, I would say to you this morning, for this reason. However much faith I have doesn't make me like God. And however much hope I have doesn't make me like God. For we do not say that God is faith or that God is hope. But when I have love, then you can see what God is like. For God is love. And only the religion of Christianity has dared to make that proclamation in the history of mankind that God is love. And sometimes we could walk around boasting in our faith and perhaps even doing the most remarkable things by faith and not have love. But all we've shown is what great faith can do and probably leave a multitude of people who experienced our great faith in a greater despair because I can never be like you. And a person without love will probably testify, you can't be like me. I worked very hard to get here. But when we love, and when we show love, and when we express love to the body of Christ, we're acting most like God in that moment. And we're able to demonstrate and manifest what God is truly like and what God truly wants. So he says, beloved, in chapter 14, verse 1, pursue love, follow love, and desire spiritual gifts. That is what we're supposed to do. Because gifts without love are vain. And I would say this to you, that gifts without love are abusive. Very abusive. Because you can operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and not have love. And when you operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit but don't have love, you will be an elder on the beach at Ephesus. And when you can operate in the gifts of the Spirit without love, you will be the woman of the dead son. Killing the life of Jesus Christ out of jealousy because they get to and you don't. And we will slap the body of Christ around and we'll push the body of Christ around and we'll beat the body of Christ around. All the while we sing with all of the gusto, Oh, how I love Jesus. But gossip and slander and wound and hurt his body on earth. And he feels every strike. There was a, a man in the New Testament who was killing the Christians or having them arrested and seeking to kill them. And his name was Saul of Tarsus. And Jesus appeared to him. He would become Paul. And Jesus appeared to Saul of Tarsus and he said to Saul of Tarsus, Why are you persecuting me? Because every strike that Saul of Tarsus would make against the Christians was a strike against Jesus. He felt it. Therefore, I would never want to raise my hand against you. 
lest I strike the body of Jesus Christ, but rather to serve one another in love and to sacrifice for one another in love and demonstrate the love of God and the power of God is the greatest and the chiefest work that we could ever do, greater than faith, greater than hope, greater than anything. Of these three, love is the greatest. So be careful if you have the gifts of the Spirit and the anointing of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit and the ability of the Spirit and you can make room for yourself and you can make a name for yourself but you have not love because you're going to walk on people to get there. And all the tragedy of having love with no gifts. I don't know if it's bearable. I don't know if it's bearable to have the love of God with no gifts of the Spirit in your life. And perhaps this is the reason why so few Christians have love in the last days. Because you really can't get close to people. You really can't allow people to dump on you their hurts and their burdens and their weights and their cares of life. Because you wouldn't have an idea what to do. I wouldn't even know where to begin to help you. And having a heart of love, a life filled with the Holy Spirit where shed abroad in your heart is the very love of God and you have all of this love for people and you have all of this love for the broken and all of this love for the hurting and all of this love for the sick and all of this love for the rejected and all you want to do because of that love is I want to help them, I want to relieve them, I want to deliver them, I want to console them, but I have no power to do it. And I live with a broken heart of frustration because I love you, but I can't help you. So the most excellent way is gifts and love. Because if I love you, and I am aware of the struggles and the battles that are going on in your life, and I'm aware of the tragedies, and I'm aware of the fears that are going on in your life, and I love you so much. Thank God there are gifts of the Holy Spirit that empower me to literally come into your life and help you, and love is satisfied. That's the most excellent way. And so I I, I beg you, as we serve the Lord at the end of this year and into the coming year, and as long as we have that Jesus may tarry, let us be careful not to simply move in the gifts of the Spirit, but let us be aware that we move in the gifts of the Spirit and the love of the Spirit. And may the love of the Spirit be our motivation in everything that we do. Because if we just move in the gifts of the Spirit, Without love, we will be a body that is stricken with an intense fever. And all we will want to do is lie around and moan. Or we'll be like a body with arthritis. And every movement fills the whole body with an intense pain that I just wish you would be still and do nothing. It's better if you do nothing because it hurts so much. And that's what it would be like with the gifts without love. But the love, the love of the Spirit, the love of God working through the gifts of the Holy Spirit empower us and move us with compassion upon one another to treat one another as though you are very Jesus yourself. We know you're not, but you are His body. 
So I just want to tell you this as I come to a close this morning. Please listen to me. I tell you this. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Throw the fear away. It doesn't come from God, but Christians have allowed it to paralyze us for too long and kept us from lovingly being involved in trying to bring healing into one another's lives. And when somebody comes to you wanting to love you and wanting to help you, and they're young or they're immature or they're klutzy and they're stumbling all over their feet, love puts the best construction on it, even though they might have done it in a very difficult way. Realize they were trying to do something to help you and shake your offense off because you also are love. And you demonstrate that love. Don't be afraid of the gifts of the Spirit. Don't be afraid to ask for them. The Bible says desire the gifts. Pursue love. Desire the gifts. In chapter 12 he says earnestly desire the greater gifts. What are the greater gifts? I would assume whatever the need is that's in front of me. If there's a need for healing, I would imagine that the gift of healing would come in really well right now. If there's a person that's standing in need of wisdom in their life, I would imagine the gift of wisdom would be a great provision right now. Or if somebody needs a word of knowledge or a word of encouragement or a gift of a miracle, then I would imagine that would be the greatest gift. I seek the gifts. God, I'm in a situation. We need your help. Would you pour out your gift and move, God, so that this individual can have an answer from you? Would you do that, God? Would you move? Don't be afraid. What father among you, if his son comes and asks you for bread, will you give him a stone? Or if your son asks for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? Or if your son asked for a fish, would you give him a serpent? No. You fathers, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You come and you ask God for the gifts of the Spirit in your life. He's not going to give you a snake. He's not going to give you a devil. He's not going to give you darkness. He's not going to give you depression. He's not going to give you oppression. He's going to give you something good in your life. He's going to bless you with the Holy Spirit in your life. And he's going to give you power. And then when that happens in your life, let love lead you into the life of somebody else. Let it lead you into the life of somebody. You can't be a spectator and love the body of Christ. How can we say that we love Jesus Christ so much when we can be callous to the needs that are around us? We can be passive in a prayer meeting while somebody's struggling with Parkinson's or a wife who's taking care of a man with Parkinson is at the end of her wits. How can we sit casually in a prayer meeting and not have love move us and maybe enter into that and say, oh, I really don't know what to do, but my affections are drawn to you. Can I just have a moment and pray with you. I just want to pray with you. I just want to ask God to help you. And perhaps the gifts of the Spirit begin to move in your life. But love is moving you. Love is moving you just to let them know that I see you and I care. And I want God to use me to help you in your life. And that's how love moves us to do it. 
Don't be moved by gifts. People are trying to be moved by gifts and they rarely do anything. Well, I don't feel the heat of heaven. I don't have oil coming out of my fingers. You know, I don't have this tingly feeling in the back of my neck and my hair's not standing on end. God must not be moving on. No, that's not faith. Don't be moved by that. Be moved by faith. God, here's a need. I've asked you to give me gifts to help the need. Love is moving me. God, we're going for it. And I'm just going to trust you. I'm not going to hurt anything. But I'm just trusting you to help me do something for the benefit of your body, Jesus. And you get involved and you help. You pray and you love and you care and you're concerned. man had a friend come to him in the night. He had nothing to give him. So he put his friend safely into his house and he goes to another friend's house. He knocks on the door and the man says, what is it? And he says, I had a friend come to me tonight. I don't have anything to serve him. Would you please give me some bread? And the man said, man, we're in bed. We're asleep. This is not a convenient time. But he kept knocking and he said, please, I have a friend that came to me in the night. I have nothing to give him. Please just open the door and give me some bread. We're all asleep. The house is locked up. I'm not going to stop till you do. And the man, because of the persistence of this neighbor, gets up and he gives him what he needs. How much more will God, who doesn't sleep and doesn't lock his house up, when you come and say, oh God, I have a grandchild that needs you. I have a son that needs you. I have a co-worker that needs you. I have a family member that needs you. I have a friend that needs you. God, I met a home person. I don't even know their name, but God, they need you. God, would you please, I have nothing to give them. Oh God, I have nothing to give them, but would you give me something to bring to them, God? Will he not open the door and give it to you? And how do you know that you have it? Because you go to them and you begin to witness the gifts of the Spirit coming alive in your life because you approached them with the faith that God's going to help you. I talked to the Father and He's going to help you. I want you to stand with me. I want to say this to you. I want to sum this up this way and I, I want you to really listen to me. I don't know I don't know what you're looking for in church. I honestly don't. People look for different things. Opportunity. Humility. Jesus. The Word. Come from many things, but I want to say this. Church has become a place today. I'm going to go there. And I'm going to see if they love me. I'm going to see if they accept me. And how many people have left a church because they said, I wasn't loved. I wasn't accepted. Can I correct your thinking? Because that's not what church is about. The one you follow was rejected and not accepted. He was hated and not loved. I do not come to church hoping you will love me. I come to church determined to love you. 
and I do not come to church hoping you will accept me. But I will come to church determined to accept you. Church is not what you do to me, but it's what I get to do to you. I get to love you. I get to accept you. It is a foreign spirit that says, you don't love me. You don't accept me. Welcome to earth. But in the house of God, I'll love you. I'll accept you. I see you as the body of Christ. And I want his body. So we're going to gather around the feet of Jesus today. We have a baptism in just a moment. You know, you know if you have love or not. And you certainly know if you have the gifts of the Spirit or not. And it sure is good to have them both. How many of you have a a friend in need? You can see their face. You don't know what to do. Come knock on the Father's door. I have a friend, Father. I have nothing to give them, but they need help. Would you give me what they need? And without goosebumps or heat or oil in your fingers, you by faith begin to approach that life with love and prayer. And watch what God does. And you become a vessel of his life and his power. So if you have a friend in your life, this is a good time for you to come. Just draw near to this altar and begin to ask the Father, I need you to make a provision. And you call their name before the Lord for so-and-so. If you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you love and you have gifts and you're able to live in the more excellent way, come and ask him for that. Because you cannot work in the gifts or love. Only the Holy Spirit can. How many of you would come this morning to this altar and beg for the body of Jesus? Give it to me. I want it.